0: Fueled by the Outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all
1: things outdoors.
0: Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Gates and Chris Leppert.
1: What's up, guys?
0: Back together this week. Uh, Chris was uh, with uh, our guest last week. Did an excellent job. Wish I could have been there, but. Uh, other circumstances took hold, so I was unable to make it, but we really hope you guys enjoyed listening to that one. I know that I did, and it gave a, a lot of great information, and uh, shooting hot tub bucks is is always a funny thing to talk about.
1: <laughs> Dude, Corey is a phenomenal guy. I'm pretty excited to work with him, uh, not only in helping promote each other and everything, but um, learning some of his tips and tricks and editing and then uh saddle hunting and um just hooking up and having some fun man real cool guy
0: yeah yeah absolutely so i mean we we went we went from kind of talking about spring stuff then we went back to deer then we went back to talking about spring stuff then we went back to talking to Corey about deer and kind of fishing yep um but as we record this we are a little over a month away from thunder in the hills and oh. thunder chickens all all the all the wonderfulness that is spring so we thought that we would talk to you guys today about springtime i know we've done this in the past but we're going to do something a little bit different i feel like that we haven't really done before which is we're going to uh going specifically on a few things uh with turkeys and we're going to cover some fishing today with panfish because realistically uh there's a lot of opportunity in the spring for a lot of different panfish i know that everyone you know the 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 word is in in kentucky is uh when the red buds are blooming the turkeys are gobbling and the crappie are biting it's springtime but also there's uh the white bass are running the bluegill are biting and all those are just as good as eaten as crappie in in a lot of ways hell of a lot more work on a bluegill to get some meat off of it but at the same time there's ways to cook that kind of stuff to make it better so with turkeys though uh, we figured we'd go over a few things just kind of rudimentary wise with calling and attempt to do some calling, I'm guessing, on here. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to let
1: you take care of that because I got a sleeping <laughs> baby upstairs and I sound like a dog being choked to death with my mouth call.
2: So,
0: <laughs> so we thought we'd cover um, two of the pretty. I would say the most common ones a box call and a mouth call mouth, mouth call in my mind is is pretty popular um it's probably like the the most popular out of everything just because it's easy to carry and you can carry a lot of them with a little bit of space but um just to kind of catch everybody up like i said uh it's march so i think i said this is the end of the last podcast that i was on it's the new wildlife year so if you haven't already it's important go out there buy your new license uh licenses fishing hunting your tags are going to need to be bought and all that kind of stuff and it looks like and Chris you can probably speak more to this because I didn't have the issue necessarily last year um there's not going to be all these weird covid restrictions when it comes to hunting turkeys
1: oh, that was One of the biggest nightmares come true that you never even knew about. And I mean, you never in a million years think I'd better buy my license early in case they just shut down all the borders and don't let you, you know, go across state lines to turkey Mm -hmm. hunt or what. And it's like, dude, we had, so I had plans to go to Florida to hunt with a guy on some primo public. Mm -hmm. um who for osceolas osceolas and he he invited me down um i had met him at uh an archery shoot down there in florida and he uh, he killed an inch and a half spurred osceola bird on opening day and that i mean that probably would have been the bird i would have killed yeah Um, So that was rough. We were supposed to go to Tennessee. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to do Kentucky, which we still got to go to Kentucky. Our boy Rick here lives down there and uh, we got to take him out and kind of explore some new public together and um, pick some morels and call to a bunch of birds, which was a blast. Uh, And then Ohio was really good to me. I know a lot of people struggled but um i'm fortunate enough to have a couple of farms that are decent and i just was able to strike gold last year so uh but we've got man i I just i still can't get over what could have been as far as memories and film and all that so it was tough but i highly recommend from now on get your tags early
0: yep Yep. And it's, uh, it's important because stuff, I mean, at least this year's a little bit different, but if, if last year has taught us anything, it's to expect the unexpected with, with hunting and fishing and all that kind of stuff and how, how things get regulated and, uh, moving forward. But, you know, realistically you're coming down to hunt Kentucky, uh, opening weekend, I believe. Right.
1: Yes, sir. Uh, unless little baby Cade comes early. Um I will be down there opening weekend and then uh you know, depending on what happens, I'll probably um shoot down there here and there um during that week because mm-hmm. basically it's about a week, ten days from the opener that he's due. And oh, she man. normally she's gone let's see, she has gone early she is so whatever day she's due the friday before that day she gives birth so wonderful <laughs> thinking that i'm going to be in the hospital for the ohio opener but who knows i don't really care i'll i'm still going to have fun we're going to call birds and have a blast oh yeah
0: cade if you can hear this inside your mother's womb right now Stay put for for after the first weekend of Kentucky at least.
1: Stay put, mine kind.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so there's, you know, we've covered a bunch of different things. We've covered run and gun. We've covered uh, blind sitting. We've covered, um, just the amount of turkeys that are in certain areas. We've covered public birds. We've covered private birds. But I really wanted to kind of focus in a little bit more on how we hunt turkeys which is a run and gun style but i wanted to kind of curtail it to the fact of there's a lot of guys this year i would imagine that are going to do go and do out of state hunts uh jacob emery who we had on the podcast uh that was early january late december
1: something like that
0: Uh, he is, I mean, he's already, uh, looking at Mississippi, Arkansas, a bunch of different places. And I have a feeling a lot of guys and gals are going to be going to a lot of places that they couldn't get into last year or just didn't go because of the uncertainty of everything. And it's going to be behoove you to scout. So. That's where I really want to start at, uh, especially f- coming from someone who, uh, does do out of state hunting more than I do. My out of state hunting basically is Ohio and, uh, you know, the years that I've hunted Turkey in Ohio, uh, the farm that I used to hunt is now public ground, but, um, you know, it was pretty much you walk and you call and you walk and you call, and that was always late season Turkey. And it was, a, a, a you know, different from the first couple of weeks. So Chris, you know, if you could kind of impart from your standpoint, how do you typically go and when do you typically go to scout for birds? Cause I have, I have an answer, but I want, I want to hear your answer first.
1: So it's really, for me, it's it's very dependent on do I know the ground. So, you know, we've gone back and forth over this a million times um, in our threads and stuff. And um, so if I have a farm that I know, uh, I know the ground very well and uh, what was planted there the previous year and so on and so forth. I understand the food sources, the roosting areas, all that. There's really no need for me to go put boots to ground unless I can't see it from the road. Now, the majority of the farmland places that I have, I can literally watch them from the road and just see if birds are coming out there and strutting at different periods of the morning, evening, whatever. Um I I'm a I'm a low impact turkey scouter. I like to listen. I refuse to call at all. Um, because I don't, I not only want to keep my location secret, I don't Mm -hmm. want them to feel like they're being pressured or hunted or anything. I also don't want to go out there with a locator call or a Turkey call, especially and start making noises and make them, make them gobble. I don't want to make them gobble. (sighs) I want to right. see what they're doing naturally. Cause as anybody who Turkey hunts knows some years they gobble their butts off, man. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with age class, the age structure and everything of uh, that particular piece of property. But um, <clears throat> I, I just, I don't want to do that. You know, I, I want right. everything to be as natural as possible. Um, you know, some years they gobble a lot, some they don't. I want to know what to expect mm-hmm. as, as well as I can. So what I like to do is if I've got a place that I know and I can watch from the road or the house that I park at or whatever, if I can watch or listen from a distance, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. The, the whole calling the bird off the roost thing, that's really cool. You know what's really cool? Killing the bird almost guaranteed. <laughs> Sitting in a spot because anybody who hunts birds knows that birds are going to be where they want to be and they want to be there very yep. consistently. They're actually way easier to pattern, in my opinion, than a deer. Are you going to pattern them to a trail? No, no. But I can pattern them to a ridge top at 9 30 every morning where he goes to the top of this ridge top just to strut back and forth and gobble. And in a 30 there, yard area it, yes exactly or even 60 yard area mm-hmm. if i sit in the middle of that well guess what he's all i got to do is be all i have to do is have a general understanding of which direction that bird's coming from and then i can take my small little stake blind which you guys will see in epi- uh, episode one yep um it covers your legs and most of your body, but you're not hauling a damn house with you and chairs and right. all that. So I'm going to have my decoys positioned right. And I probably won't say a whole lot when I'm in there. I'll let him show up. I'll make a few noises here and there, but I'm going to let him do everything. Um, that's that's an ambush style more than a run and gun, though, if I'm mm-hmm. being honest. To me, that's not technically a, a run and gun style. So.
0: No, no, not at all. You know, I, that's why I said it's kind of a, mo- it's more of a modified run and gun with what we, what, what, with yeah. what we did last year. Um, when and you to be
1: honest, man, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you no, off. Go ahead. I just, I want to make sure I get this thought out. Um, you, you hit on our style and I would like to say that our style is killing turkeys, whether yes. it's, <laughs> whether it's on the ground, no blind steak, blind, big blind, uh, Anything I have to do to be successful, that's what I'm going to do within legal means, as uh, obviously. But um, I I will hunt with a bow. I'll hunt with a gun. It's all fun to me. Um, I'm not going to feel like less of a man if I shoot a turkey in the face with a gun. I feel just the same amount of awesome. Now, if I succeed in doing what I want to do this year and kill one with a longbow from like, 10 steps that's going to add a little bit <laughs> um, that's going to be a little bit of badassery there but.
0: That, that that that's going to be one of those things that if that happens i, I don't even know what i'm going to think like i I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't so are you going to be are you going to be using the one that will has
1: yes so my plan is to do a little bit of scouting. I have mm-hmm. a couple of private places that I'll that I'll do this because it's going to be a place. I'm not going to go out with a longbow and do what I'm doing in a place where somebody's going to show up a half yeah. hour after daylight. I'll lose my freaking mind. So my plan is to get a large stump or a large down tree
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just put a little brush in there and get behind it and then just on the other side of that to where i can see right pretty decently i'm going to have my dsd jake strutter with some string and moving back and forth and call and all that Mm -hmm. and i want the gopro on the opposite side of the jake looking back at the jake towards me oh man so so that way it gets me creeping up Leaning up over top of the log and coming to full draw with a longbow like
0: Rambo coming out of the water, some,
1: <laughs> some like last of the Mohicans so, type
0: stuff. So, you say you said that. So, I'm thinking of this. Uh, gosh, I don't even know. It was NWTF's um print of the year, and my parents have it. I it's, ha- it's hanging in their living room, I think either in the dining room, it is these two Mohawk Indians with longbows peering over a like a, a downed tree at two gobblers strutting
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i mean it's such a cool photo
2: i'm pretty mean, sure i've fo- seen it. a
0: photo yeah i mean painting i mean it, it's but like if, if you could if you could get one with a longbow i mean that's saying something like that that is i think it'd be cool <clears throat> that 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 is that is a, a big accomplishment and you know I, I'm, I'm never going to knock anybody for doing whatever they want i mean personally i'm a i'm a pure shotgun hunter when it comes to turkey i've never tried with a crossbow i may try this year with uh with the uh, property that i have across the road from my house yep um there's there was enough (laughs) birds over there where i feel like that there's you know even if there's a jake or a small gobbler i i'd like to try it but um you know my my track record with uh turkey's just in general is that I want to make sure that I'm proficient with a gun before I even attempt anything with a bow, because there's a lot of birds that go off in the woods injured by arrows every year. And mm-hmm. given they, they, they go, they go in their coyote meat at that point, And that's all good, great and grand or owl meat. Cause that's the number one predator, but you know, reality being is that that would be such a sweet, sweet memory if, if you're able to uh, able to get that. So hope hopefully. And that that longbow, I mean, good lord. I don't even know because that was my that was my dad's longbow, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure at one
1: point. Yeah. And killed uh killed that little deer in uh West Virginia. West Virginia I want to Killed like a little doe or a little buck or something. Killed down a little there? doe or a little buck with and it. And it was like trophy central. Yep. You know, <laughs> and and to be honest, you know, I'm super honored that it's even in my house, let alone that I'm allowed to hunt with it so um i feel like
0: well remember we can get his 10 gauge too if you want to hunt with that because every ammo store has 10 (laughs) gauges (laughs) right
1: nobody wants to buy that stuff nobody wants to buy that um i uh yeah i i want to do that i mean and i feel like you know hopefully i'm not overstepping my bounds with people but um and that you know don't take this the wrong way but i feel like Sometimes when people kill like a big deer, or big turkeys or whatever, they get bored. You know, they want a bigger yeah. challenge. And I feel like that's why they go to that trad archery stuff. But yep. for me, honestly, it's literally about trying to not only overcome a huge challenge, but to produce some really, really cool footage mm-hmm. and tell a really cool story with the history of that bow
0: man that'd be so. i mean that'd be awesome and and you know realistically you look at guys like aaron snyder who
1: one of my faves
0: i mean the, the guy very much said he's like i stopped shooting a compound bow because it w-, he goes it was just not as much of something i wanted to do so i went to recurve and then he goes and then i got really good with recurve and he, he said, I can, you know, I've killed plenty of animals with it. I'm looking at what else I can start doing now. And yep. it, it, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that as a hunter, you tend to want to go to that next thing. And I think that's with a lot of different things too. Like when you get mm-hmm. to a certain point with something, you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're still sharpening skills in other areas. So you'll see a lot of guys who will pistol hunt for deer, or they will, instead of using a long range rifle, um, they will use a slug gun in, you know, down here cause they want to get closer than 300 yards. Um, I think I watched a show one time where the guy was like his life's dream after he'd killed like two or three bighorns already. Um, And he got within like 90 yards of one and shot one with a muzzle loader. So, I mean, there's, there's always that idea that you keep pushing and you keep getting better with this kind of stuff. So, it's important to kind of remember that as, as you move forward with life and with your hunting career, because you're not going to go out and you're not going to kill the biggest gobbler of your life. You, well, you might, I don't know, but more than likely not, you're not going to go out and kill the biggest gobbler of your life on your first hunting trip. You're going to do it, you know, later on in life. And you know, you get good at killing big gobblers by, killing small gobblers or killing jakes and it's just you know in practice 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 mm-hmm. practice so you want to make sure you're doing all that kind of stuff so it's yeah. it's important you know what whatever um uh what we, we we've had this discussion on here with multiple guests is like you get good by killing a bunch Like you just do like, yeah, you you get good by killing a bunch and you have to look at it that way is that it's wonderful if you can kill a big buck, you know, everyone's got a target buck every year. They just do. And, or everyone's got like birds that they see and like, that's that, you know, The double bearded, you know, each one's 10 inches like, yeah, but there's also a bird that you have coming in every day at 930 in the morning off the roost at this exact same spot. And you have only seen that bird once. What's important? Do you want it in the freezer or are you looking for, you know, something to mount on a wall? And I think that that is a very important distinction to make before you go out this turkey season is decide what you want and try and get it.
1: Well, I think, so again, not going to knock anybody, but I think one of the reasons that turkey hunting is so appealing is because there's not a worry of weight, inches, Mm -hmm. mass. It's just fun. You communicate with an animal. It communicates back generally, and you are matching wits with it. And if it shows up and it's got a seven-inch beard and he's gobbling and strutting, he's screwed. Yep. And if he's got a 14 inch beard and he's strutting and goblin, he's screwed. And if he shows up quiet and he's got a six inch beard and you know, a full fan, he's screwed. And for some Mm -hmm. people, if it's a Jake, I mean, it's, there's no pressure to be better than somebody or something with turkeys. There's no pressure uh, even though some people are trying to force it, but You know, if you take a crossbow or a gun or whatever, it's just fun. And to me, um, which is one of the reasons why I'm taking the longbow is it's one of those things where you're getting so close to what our ancestors did Mm -hmm. Because the wild Turkey, especially for, um, you know, the people that came over on the Mayflower and everything like that was a very, very huge food source for them they ate a lot of turkeys yep and uh these guys were hunting with black powder and uh you know the the flint lock and match lock mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff like that and probably some of them had bows and spears i mean let's face it that's one of the reasons that people like this kind of stuff and like hunting with trad gear on the ground or whatever is because they're getting back to our roots our primal roots that we have so um yeah I, I would say if you're gonna try to like bow kill a state record turkey you probably got a lot of time and money going well yeah on. <laughs> so, well,
0: and, so even something to add on to that is like you bring up the state record thing i i find this very funny so the guy who killed the state record in kentucky the seven bearded bird um he wasn't even turkey hunting he, oh. was, he, <laughs> he was deer hunting in the fall he had a turkey tag on a sportsman's license it was turkey season and this gobbler walks in front of him he goes man that's a big bird and he shoots it and goes over and gets it and then, like, starts looking at it. He's like, oh, my gosh, because this is a huge bird. Right. So he registers it with the NWTF, and they, they like, kind of look at him. And they're like, you know, this is, this is the new state record for Kentucky. He's like, oh, man, I was out deer hunting. I didn't even think anything of it. <laughs> so, you know, the opportunity can strike at any time, but don't go out expecting, like, you're going to kill a limb hanger every time. Go out and do, you know, what makes you happy this turkey season I I always look at like spring turkey is like this time it's kind of like the like everything everything's turning over everything's getting new everything's getting fresh and it's like the the new hunting year starts and you get the opportunity to just reset and just go do like the first thing that is just like really fun like Mm -hmm. in in my eyes And this is why I love turkey hunting so much is it forces you in a lot of cases to go get outside, go figure stuff out and you can go out and walk and walk and walk and you can call and you don't even have to see a bird. I don't have to see a bird to have a good day. It's not like if I go deer hunting and my wife says, did you see a deer? I'm like, no, she goes, It's like, oh, okay. And it's kind of like it's kind of disappointing. If I go out and get a if I go out and she says, Well, did you see any turkeys? She's like, I'm like, no. And she's okay, not a big deal. But you know, in the fall, when you know you're putting a larger, I guess, animal in the freezer, it it carries a little bit more weight. Mm -hmm. So we just you you brought up your scouting part because I asked you about it. Um, so when I think of scouting, I think of scouting in two different ways. I think of scouting um, the previous season, and I think of scouting right before the season. So I found a real great spot, um, muzzleloader hunting in the fall this past year. And I, I, uh, I mean, you can't can't hunt with a muzzleloading rifle for turkey in Kentucky. It was turkey season, but I couldn't hunt with it. But I found an area, it was full of scratches. It was full of like, they've been pecking up acorns all day long on the side of this hill. Like you could just tell like it was turkey central. So it's important to start that kind of stuff. If you like, if you have a fall turkey season, great. If you don't, look for that kind of stuff when you're out deer hunting the year before. Because nine times out of 10, those birds will still be running through there unless something severe happens. Like they flock up and that kind of stuff. But if you're near ridgetops and and things like that, those birds are going to be somewhere near there. Mm -hmm. In spring, though, I I approach it and, you know, you and I have discussed this and uh, we've talked about pressure. Um, I like for me, I like to go. I get a thermos of coffee. There's a video of us, I think, when we went to the one uh, WMA. Mm -hmm. I pack a thermos of coffee. I drive. We drive out. I throw it in my backpack. I ha- I don't have a call on me. I go out and I just I hike in to where I think I, I, I typically like to go to a ridge top um, or at the bottom of a ridge. Um, so I don't I, I don't hurt these birds. I, I don't I don't I don't want I don't want to pressure them or whatever. Um, birds are going to gobble. They just are. I mean, it, it's, it's spring and they're just like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Like, that's all, that's all they're telling you.
2: Hey, everybody, <laughs> everybody look at me. <laughs>
1: I'll never forget that, dude. That was a fun morning. And we were just sort of coming into the whole pandemic thing. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know how to treat anything. And yep, we got together and dude, that was so much fun. And there were, there were an absolute crap ton of birds up on that hill.
0: Tons of birds. Um, tons of birds
1: and and to kind of sort of go with what i was saying you know what i spoke of earlier as far as scouting that's my method Mm -hmm. if i know the place you know if if it's a 40 or 50 or 60 whatever acre track that i generally have i don't i don't have like a hundred or hundreds of acres so you can go sit in the driveway and listen and figure things out but mm-hmm. uh what rick touched on you know if you're going to be hitting a big tract of public land or you're fortunate enough to have a really good sized farm man scratched up leaves yeah shoot
2: that's that, like that is that's prime, your food source and that's time.
1: and who likes to eat the ladies yep. and where the ladies are that i mean they go they breed in the morning
2: mm-hmm. the
1: ladies go off to eat and then they go nest and lay an egg and sit on the nest for a bit then what do they do? They come back out and eat some more. And that's where those gobblers go close to the nesting spots. Mm-hmm. And that's why you always see them in those meadows and stuff and cut cornfields near where there's a bunch of brush and all that, where the hens can come in and out. And um, so that is one of the things that I definitely look at is, you know, it's super basic. It sounds so dumb. But when you start finding a bunch of turkey tracks and a bunch of scratched up, you know, uh, old corn stalks in a cut cornfield or yep. scratched up leaves, I mean, that's that's your gold.
0: Oh yeah, a- absolutely, it is, and it's important to recognize that kind of stuff too because, y- you know, as I get older, like getting out there at first light and hearing those birds gobble is the greatest thing on the face of the earth i I just i just think it's one of the coolest things you can do i've never heard an elk bugle so maybe one day i'll i'll just say that instead but like oh man that that's so much better but like as i get older i also have the sense of if you do your proper scouting you can go out at 10 a.m and kill a bird um, two years ago, I walked in on a track of public that I had scouted. Um, probably like if, if I'm, I'm thinking timelines, probably basically two weeks from now, I walked out in the middle of a field and I just I stood there and hills lit up all around me. So I'm like okay, there's, there's birds here. Did, I didn't go into the woods, nothing like that. Um, I had a morning off of work, so I went and dropped my kids off at their daycare. I drove down to this track. I walked in. Guy had already killed a bird out of one of the fields. I think it was at like 9 a.m. And he's like, oh, I think I got him." all. I'm like, oh, okay. So I walk all the way back to where I knew these birds were, had roosted. I gave two yelps on a mouth call, and this gobbler lit up 50 yards from me. Just absolutely lit up. And this is at 1030, uh, almost 11 o'clock. The thing is people need to remember is that they're not deer they're not gonna go bed down and they're not gonna like you know just like sleep for part of the day they're gonna be out in fields bugging they're gonna be running running up and down if they haven't henned up yet they're gonna chase down another hen and if you hit right in that right window that bird that didn't get henned up is going to be looking for you when you're making those calls in the morning and it's mm-hmm. important to recognize that kind of stuff so proper scouting in, in in terms of that kind of stuff is huge uh in preseason scouting not
1: pre preseason scouting yeah and and i'll say this much and this is sort of in the last probably three years it's kind of taken my we'll call it success. I'm not Mm -hmm. like some accomplished turkey hunter or anything, but (laughs) filling tags on nice birds. um, It has helped me tremendously. So understanding the age structure of the male birds in your area will help you understand what kind of setup you want. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if you go out there and scout, you know, from 800 yards away with your binos and you see one gobbler that is just, he's the boss bird. He's the boss, Tom, and nobody goes around him. Nobody messes with him, dude, a Jake strutter, something with a little movement, he will, I'll bet you could reap that bird too. Like that's the kind of bird that is going to be super aggressive. The biggest freaking oldest birds tend to be the most aggressive now here is where i will spin that if you had a mega hatch the -hmm. year before and you have groups of five six seven ten jakes we had that a few
0: years back where they were running around beating the living tar out of gobblers like you'd see like a group of jakes like beat the living crap out of a gobbler
1: two years ago yeah you 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 were hard pressed to get a mature bird to come into a field. But those jakes, those jakes were there every time. Yep. And, and when you heard a mature bird, you always knew it because it was the lousiest, softest, most pathetic (laughs) gobble you've ever heard because he's just flat out tired of getting beat up, but he wants to make lovings, to the hands so um (laughs) understanding that kind of stuff really helps you because for instance if i have a super weary bigger bird or a few of them or whatever that are just getting pounded by jakes all the time i am going to try to set up as close to them as i can all of my calling is going to be done as if i'm on highly pressured public land it's going to be soft so that the jakes can't hear me Mm -hmm. i I was i was set up on a bird within about 75 yards of him while he was gobbling on the roost and those jakes came right down the fence row oh man eight yards from us and i literally lunged at them to get them to run away and the bird gobbled a couple more times they came right back i mean i could have bow killed these things easily <laughs> and of course now you know i've got a long bow and you know maybe settle for a jake or something mm-hmm, this year mm-hmm. because of that and of course that won't happen at all but so anyways you know not to ramble too much but understanding age tr- uh structure and pressure on a property but you know that age structure will really help you with your setup tremendously
0: oh absolutely absolutely i mean it's it's uh it's very much knowing knowing the area knowing the territory it's it's a lot like if you go fishing you want to match the hatch you want to match the idea of what's going on on that property in order to to help you there so yep um so uh with with regards to that um a- as we've said like are we we're in the business of you know, killing turkeys and that that's, you know, our modified running gun or whatever you want to call it. We, we do a couple different things. So one of, one of the things is, is that um, there's, you know, traditionally I like up really up until last year, I, I did the majority of my Turkey hunting by myself. Um, other than if I went on a hunt with my dad, um, I, I would typically, do all my calling myself, um, and anything along those lines. So, you know, last year was the first time where we were able to drop back calling, where we were able to, you know, have multiple people like kind of looking for a bird and that kind of stuff. So that's an easy part, but it's also a tough part because one of the best parts about turkey hunting is calling, um, which I, I feel like we need to touch on. And there's, you know, a few different things. I don't, I'm like, I've got a box call with me right now and I got a mouth call. Uh, I don't have my pot call. It's stored away right now, but I grab, I grabbed what is essentially a box call. Um, it's a little bit of a different uh, shape and size of one. It's not your traditional box call. Um, but I feel like it's important for people to kind of understand cadence. I feel like it's important for uh, people to understand that you don't have to just like, rip 50 yelps in a row or cackles or whatever and everybody's got different things like if you go online and you listen to like the world turkey calling championships or things like that um, there's some of those guys that will say like i will yelp 80 times in a row because i want to i want to make every hen in that area so angry that they come in on me Mm -hmm. you know if you're in an area that you can do that wonderful if you're on public ground um and most private farms that ain't gonna work right um you know one of one of the best pieces of advice that someone gave to me is that if you hear a hen um you want to match her cadence because what it's going to do is she's going to get so frustrated she is going to come towards you and more than likely there's going to be a gobbler there with her. And the biggest, the biggest thing when you get into calling is not doing it too often. So um, I'm going to go ahead and just try this right now. If this doesn't, if it doesn't sound good, we're just going to go ahead and edit it out. Sound good. Sounds good. Okay. So um, I use a Woodhaven call. I I like them. Um,
1: Hold it up. Uh... that's tough, to, I think that's it's tough it, to see yeah it's, it's kind of
0: split v so typically um when when you well i'll, I'll kind of go over how i do this um when the birds are on the roost you want to do real soft calling you don't want to do like loud yelps uh, or anything like that you you want to do kind of soft calls so um this is going to be awkward. This is the first time I've ever tried to do this. I think really in front of anybody.
1: So, no. <laughs> you better practice because I need a caller. That'll work. So I'll typi- call a turkey in.
0: Yeah. So typically, um, I'll try to do softer than that. What that signifies is that you know it'll it'll get bird shock gobbling whatever um you know I, i'll start with that versus um some guys will use like a locator when i've got birds on the roost calls and the you know the barred owl calls and that kind of stuff i just don't feel like like you you've got you've got a good barred owl call just with your voice <laughs> um I, I i don't even know what the hell my barred owl call is you uh
1: find I, it and give it to me because it's sweet <laughs> I remember you bringing that thing in the truck, and oh yeah, I pick that thing up, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome.
0: <laughs> I got I got to find that sucker. It may still be stuck in my turkey vest, but um, like it that that's great on certain certain areas, but on most public places that I hunt uh for turkeys, every guy's walking around with a barred alcohol. Yeah. Like e- e- every dude's walking around. Those birds have heard hood owls, um, pileated woodpeckers, all that kind of stuff for weeks leading up to the season. You you want to be able to, to beat them to the punch. And a lot of guys will go in opening morning, uh, you know, parking lot four o'clock in their spot, 430, and they'll blow – hoot out calls like a half hour before daybreak and those birds will respond and then you've got to figure out how the heck you're going to get away from those guys because what's going to end up happening is that those birds are going to run as far as possible away from them so what you're what you're eventually going to try to end up doing there is your those birds are going to fly down and i think something like there's like an 11 chance like they're even going to uh you know fly down near you so most most birds that you're going to see aren't going to fly down near you. So, which means you got to call those birds in. So um, when the birds fly down, uh, I don't like to go into like this, you know, you hear Luke, Luke's got a real good one. Pierce has got excellent calling skills, but the majority of what I'll do is typically just something along these lines. i'll do that a couple times just get a little bit louder with being on the ground um if i'm on the ground i'll make some noise hands through leaves that kind of stuff i feel like that's one of those things where you can just add like a little bit of thing like chris was talking about with uh adding a little bit of movement and it can be a really great thing moving uh can that can get a bird in closer to you now
1: i don't even have to call
0: well yeah (laughs)
1: If they can see you, if they can mm-hmm. see your decoy and your decoys moving in yeah. a natural way. Oh,
0: they're they're going to fly down and they're going to like, if it's, if it's a gobbler or a, a dumb Jake, um, they're going to come over and try to attack it.
1: Yep. Um, so. Yeah, that's oh, movement in any decoy is something that I mean, it, it makes it lifelike for whatever reason these animals are like so stupid, but so smart and they can pick out a decoy, especially farmland birds. I can take the crappiest, oh, yeah. crappiest decoys ever into the woods, like big timber and birds will walk right up to them and flog them and all that farmland mm-hmm. birds. They'll step out 400 yards, 300 yards away and just stare at them and not care at all. It's like, god you annoy me but now that i got that
0: jake strutter dude it's that 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 thing is just a little bit of movement Mm -hmm. with it too and just so everyone's aware not that i'm knocking cabela's or bass pro or anybody like that you don't need to pay 75 dollars for a battery operated movement device to shove up the um hole underneath of your turkey decoy you can add it with just some fishing Fishing line and a nail and it'll it works just the same as as long as you have the ability to do that so
1: i actually think it's better i i I agree because i'll say this much it's tough robotically to get something to move naturally and to do exactly what you want on cue um i had really good success with good birds last year and I attribute that you know in large part to that that decoy, that decoy and being yeah. able not just the decoy, but being able to move that decoy in a specific way, uh, while I'm reading the bird's body language and it y'all will see it on video. It's yeah, yeah. Ridiculous.
0: Yeah. So I mean, typically like if if I hear uh, you know, you, you well, one, going back to the decoy thing for a moment. Move, movement is is a huge thing so any way that you can create movement on a decoy is going to be huge um in terms of calling and that kind of stuff everything i'm doing right now is with a mouth call i think i I said that but um you know you you do want to add in like birds getting excited and that kind of stuff because it does pique their attention so you do want to add in cackles you do want to you know adding cuts and all that kind of stuff so You know, I'm, again, going to try this out. You know, little things like that, and, again, it's not a little thing. I'm sure most guys who use a mouth call can do all those type of things. But for anybody starting out, those are very simple things. Go online, look up HS Struck. Go online, look up H uh, and not H and K. That's a gun company. Um, <laughs> Night and Hail. <laughs> you can look them up too. Um, uh, they're not going to try to do a whole lot for turkeys. Um, Night and Hail calls like there's a lot of different places, primos that you can look up that kind of stuff. So that's a mouth call. So you don't have to be a good caller a lot of times, though, to get a bird to come in. Um, Chris I'm sure you've ran into this before but there's plenty of hens that I've heard that sound like a five-year-old with a rusty old box call on top of a ridge and you're like is that somebody or is that a bird and then you find out too late and it's a bird so
1: I never think it's a bird I always think (laughs) that it's some rum-dum walking around and then I'm like there was one time where me and my father-in-law were hunting together Uh it was opening day and and I hear this bird, and not only does it sound bad, she won't shut up. And I'm like, no way that that's a bird. That is a person. I'll be <laughs> danged if that hen did not come right past us, just run in her mouth. And I thought, you know, thinking back now, I'm like, I should have ran my mouth right back. And that gobbler yep. would have come in, but he... That was a weird year, man. <laughs> it, uh, sometimes them birds. But there again, I didn't have good decoys. Now those birds would. I challenge anybody to get a farmland bird that yeah. they can't kill. Call me, we'll kill it. <laughs> You'll kill that bird. We'll kill that sucker.
0: <laughs> so, I, the, it it's amazing to me, like the the reality that those decoys look like now um i mean Mm -hmm. they they look they look they look life like i mean i think we talked about this a few few um weeks back where it's like (laughs) the only thing that's gonna be better is if you stuff an actual bird and you throw it out there um you know i mean they do that in texas for sandhill cranes i don't know why they wouldn't do it for turkeys up here oh they do well well, no i'm trying to think about so there's a meat eater episode where It's a biologist in either Georgia or Florida. Robert Abernathy, that's his name. Um, He killed a bird and took every feather off of it and glued it back on a decoy, a decoy form. And he says, 32 birds have seen this decoy and all of them have been in my freezer. Jeezel. Yeah.
1: I believe it. I've I've talked to people that hunt and film and all that and they prefer them. There's actually a guy... I can't remember his name but he's got a place called the Turkey Roost and it's mm-hmm. probably the best known turkey taxidermy place in America. But with that being said, he'll make turkey decoys and they're not they're mounted birds but yeah. they're not like uh, you know pristine perfect turkey mounts. Right. But god, dude, they they really
0: they get the they job They
1: really all oh, they bring them in. Yeah. So
0: the the other type of call that is typically used by somebody starting out, I feel like, is a box call. Um, you know, I think everybody at some point has had one, and there, there's tons of different ones. So, you know, typically, I think I still got my original Quaker boy over in my call box right now. But um, typically, what that does is, if you're holding it upright, it's it's a paddle with a box. Uh, underneath it that's hollow and you'll scrape the sides of the the side of the box with the paddle and it makes a yelp noise um one size tip one side typically mimics a gobbler another side typically mimics a hen um and there's a lot of different ways to hold it some guys will hold them vertically some guys will hold them horizontally whatever as i was showing chris earlier i've got a like kind of like a modified box call and typically, and this one is like a ten-dollar one. It's made by a guy, um, B Perkins. If you want the number, it's eight five nine three eight six one three eight two. It's on the outside of the box. Call this guy makes them for ten bucks, um, and it's it's a hell of a little call. And all you do is with this is it's a great small call because you can put it in between your legs um, when you're sitting there and just. That sounds terrible, but that's called in birds. Um, You can be a bad caller up until a point, but what I would encourage everybody to do is I encourage uh, most people to do during this time of year is get out, practice your calling in your car, on the way to work. If you're sitting there waiting for your kids to get off from, you know, basketball practice, whatever, just go ahead and start trying it. You know, it's an important part of getting out there and doing this kind of stuff. So, um, I'm excited. I I I can't wait. I cannot wait for turkeys to start gobbling.
1: It's going to be fun. I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about something that I don't think a lot of people look forward to during turkey season, and that is the exercise. Yes. Um, yes. It is a. Di- it's literally like playing a game, basketball, whatever. Nobody really enjoys the training beforehand, but when you're out there and you hear a bird yep. and, and you just take off running, it's just fun. Um, and it's so neat too. Cause like when Pierce and Luke and I hunted it, it was literally like, I was telling you, we were like three players out of gears of war roll running through the woods <laughs> freaking (laughs) on our way to blast some berserkers dude so um you know everybody reacts exactly Mm -hmm. the same and it's just really cool um i'm i'm looking forward to it uh but you know another thing that Mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to is dropping some slip bobbers over some brush yes with some uh red worms or minnows or little uh in fact i got a pack in front of me right now the shocker baits shad yes. jigs or whatever yeah. um i'm pretty excited to to catch some bluegill and crappie and white bass we should hit up the place we, that we, we both need to know
0: do. yeah we to need, need to do the white bass run yeah badly <clears throat> i mean th- so this this is a time of year and i, th- I think we we've discussed this before where it's like um, in, in, Ohio, it's a little bit different because you can only hunt till noon, like the first week, right?
1: Uh, yeah, the first week it used to be all season. Then it was the first two weeks and now it's the first week I look for the next couple of years, especially if our population goes up a little bit, which in my opinion, it's going to be up next year, mm-hmm. as long as we don't have a crazy wet spring Yeah, because, we're supposed to have a damn good uh, cicada hatch. Yeah, this year the seventeen-year cicadas are supposed yep. to be out. Brood X, and when you have that, you have obviously it's weather dependent too, but you generally have a ridiculous turkey population.
0: So I mean, it, it's 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 great to see that, and uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's it's gonna it's gonna be great. So uh, with fishing. In the springtime, though, <clears throat> like you, you're usually able to go at least the way I thought of it, like always growing up was you could hunt turkeys in the morning. If you could stay awake long enough, you could go fish crappie in the afternoon, oh. um, which which is awesome. Um, in Kentucky, we're allowed to hunt all day, um, you know, dusk to dawn, half hour before dusk, half half or half hour before dawn, half hour after dusk. Um Check your state regs is what I'm saying. But um, panfish are one of my favorite things to do in the spring just for the fact that it gets people outside. If you have kids, you can go throw slip bobbers on and you can go fill a cooler of bluegills, red ear, sunfish, uh, crappie all that different type of stuff and you will have some amazing table fare uh, as as that happens. So one thing that I like to push kind of early on is you don't have to wait until it's 65 and sunny every day to go fish for crappie or for panfish. Those uh, get a sunny day, in the mid fifties will yield you a decent amount of crappie. If you have a brush pile, Um, whether you want to go drown minnows or I prefer a jig under a bobber. um, If I, if I'm just looking for quantity versus quality, you can fill a cooler, an ungodly quick way in, in doing that. And I'm I'm sure you'll agree with me on that.
1: Yeah. So, getting into crappie fishing about 11 12 years ago yeah uh and really early spring late winter or even early winter
0: or even early winter
1: uh fishing you learn so much because you start out catching crappie and this is all dependent on how deep and everything your place is but um we're out at uh, Mm -hmm. the lake that we won't mention and you're fishing in 15 to 20 feet of water in january when it's cold when we have the weird years like 2012 when it was like 87 degrees in february and there were kids kids swimming Swimming. in the lake and just bizarre, like weird so you know they were a foot deep then um (laughs) but you're catching them in 15 20 22 feet of water and then all of a sudden it goes to eight to 10 and then all of a sudden you're fishing 18 inches deep mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you can't keep your pole in the water <laughs> so it's it's really cool but um i i always noticed right when the water got to that right around the 50 degree 52 degree yes mark, dude they you just you would light them up and it it was awesome w-
0: water temperature is such a huge huge part of that where i mean you can catch fish anytime you you really can if you want to catch fish in quantity though for you know fill in your freezer there's no better time than early to mid-spring there just there just really isn't you're going to catch bigger fish it always seems that way because they're they're the ones that are going to be the more voracious feeders Mm -hmm. and they're gonna outcompete those smaller fish. Just they are. They're every every time they're gonna outcompete those, those smaller fish. And with panfish, it's one of those things where you can find a school, and you can just like walk along the bank, and you can dip it along like inlets and all that kind of stuff, and you're gonna find schools of panfish, and and being able to have that moving forward so one of the things that's a big difference between uh, like we mentioned three different ones there's bluegills there's crappie there's um, white bass and uh, you know all three are very different species they all you know kind of eat differently you're not going to typically catch bluegills on minnows and that kind of stuff you're going to want to use wax worms or mealworms or you know that kind of stuff crappies will eat minnows but will typically eat jigs as well White bass, though, um I, I feel like they, they get a bad rap because they're not <laughs> they're not a hybrid, they're not a striper, and they're not a crappie. Right. right. They, but they are one of the most fun fish to fish for because they put up a really good fight. They're bigger typically, um in in most places that we fish, typically they're a little bit bigger than a crappie. And you're going to get a really good white filet out of those suckers too. And like, don't get me wrong. I love crappie. I really do. But if I could catch a limit of white bass every time I went out, every time, every time.
1: Yeah. They're, they're fun and they give you a little more fight too. Um, but they are, a they are a thicker filet. You're going to get more and, and you don't you don't have to have a super big white bass at all to get a good filet too. I, I, I enjoy white bass, but there again, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, y'all are going to yell at me cause you're trying to make <laughs> me healthy and less fat, but <laughs> you can pretty much take just about any freaking fish, especially white fish mm-hmm. and dip it in egg or uh, excuse me, in beer batter and toss it in grease. And it's going to be delicious to me. So,
0: so this is where you and I differ. And I, I was going to bring this up actually. You are a beer batter guy. Yes. You, you are a beer batter guy.
1: I'll try everything. It's just, no, no, I know that also understand that I cook for, you cook for like 40 or 50 people (laughs) or whatever. And nobody's going to make like a creme de la creme, fresh Rick Kate, special (laughs) tuna ass melt dip. Like I, I I don't even know how to do that. Let alone, uh, you know, make it to where, uh, it's going to be good for that many people.
0: So I'll be honest. Like the first time I like, and this is gonna be weird. Um, I had never had beer batter. I don't think until I actually came to a fish fry at your house. I'll be very honest about that. Um, really? It, seriously? Um, I had always uh, kind of grown up with you like, uh, I guess it would be a breading uh, where you would mix <clears throat> flour, breadcrumb, flour, breadcrumb, and panko or cornmeal um you would flour the fish you'd hit it with egg like in an egg wash and then you throw it in that and then you'd, you you know you'd hit it in the deep fryer um i mean i each each has their place i i feel like um I, I am i am still like i don't know like i don't know if it's nostalgia or whatever it is i still like breading fish it's such a pain in the ass though like Beer beer battering fish is much easier. And yes. I and you get a better I feel like you get a better crunch uh on the exterior of it yep. every time. Absolutely. And yep. like I really like that. Um and I like eating just fish that way. But if I like if I'm making like a fish sandwich or like I'm making like I want like like leftover fish like the day after a fish fry, I prefer to have it breaded. And, like, it's it's this weird thing in my head, and I don't know why that is. Wait,
1: what you said, <clears throat> when you say breaded, you mean breadcrumb or a panko?
0: Breadcrumb bread or panko or cornmeal, okay. yeah. Okay, I, yeah, I yeah, agree
1: yeah. 1,000%, and I'll tell you, there for a while before you were coming to these to give you an <clears throat> indication of how tough it was, and there were a few less people, but mm-hmm. I would buy, I shouldn't even say this on here, I would buy... <laughs> Goldfishes, a goldfish cracker, crunch them up and put them through a food processor yep. <clears throat> and dip egg wash the fish fillets and dip them in that and that was very time consuming and tedious but dude but it's so good it's, it's so good so and good. if you wanted to heat it up later that mm-hmm. night or the next day it was good Yep. so uh, i'll say this much panko dude that stuff's the truth yeah with i use that on fish and I also use it when I make uh, chicken parm. Oh yeah. Um, it's extremely delicious. Yeah. It so, holds its texture.
0: Oh, it does every time. So people out there listening to this, you have two very, uh, very different ways of doing this and you can modify either one of these ways of doing this and you will have a good fish fry. It's really hard to screw up fried fish. Um, right. Right. I mean, it, it, like you either cook it way too long or you cook it way too short. Guess what? Three three to five minutes, it, it, it's it's done. Like, and realistically, that's probably too long in a lot of cases. Just make sure you have the hot grease and that you're doing it the right way. You will be set. Now, I will say this because we do have people in like Wisconsin listening to us. that are probably like banging their heads against tables. They're like, why don't you just like scale and fry the fish? Well, because we don't do that down here. Uh, like, like I, I that to me, like that that's like that's like a northern thing, where um, uh, they'll have you ever seen it, like where they just like cut the head off the bluegill, they oh, gut yeah. it, oh yeah. and then like you scale oh, yeah. it and then you just fry the whole fish and you like you eat the whole thing, bones and all. Yep. Um, never done it. I plan on doing it this year. I'm I gonna try do it. it.
1: Do you I, know I, why I want to do it? Why my favorite book ever which hatchet hatchet (laughs) dude the way the way when i read that book in seventh grade and then like 15 more times as an adult yeah um i felt how that kid felt and like being a foodie Mm -hmm. and already having an appreciation for wild game Oh, yeah. I imagine myself like being starving out in the Canadian wilderness and you get this fish and it's like, you just met God. Like <laughs> you've, you've got this delicious fish and you you were able to start your own fire and it just like the accomplishment in that meal. So I, I kind of want to do it and I, I want to do it like that. I want to be out on a bro's trip or something in the backwoods and mm-hmm. freaking rip the guts out, rinse them out a little bit and. Let them sit over the fire and crackle and peel oh, it man, off. That'd be
0: great. That'd be great. Oh yeah. It, we need, we need, we need to try that. We need to try that at least once. Let's we're going, film. We're that. going to try that. Yeah. Let's just
1: absolutely. go somewhere and catch fish like this weekend.
2: And, <laughs> and rip stab their, them and
1: we'll rip their heads off and rip their guts out and then just rinse them out and throw them over a fire.
0: Good deal. Good deal. So I did want to cover one more thing and you mentioned it earlier and it spiked, uh, my memory. And honestly, I just read an article about it again. Uh, oddly enough, spring also means one other thing that is my, f- one of my favorite things when I can't kill a Turkey and that is morels. Oh yeah. Morels. For those of you who live in the Southern half of the country right now, specifically Northern Florida, uh, they can and may be coming up within the next two weeks. So the way morels work is um, they move, they they don't like, they're not migrating, but I mean, they, they need a specific heat during the day and uh, during the evening uh, overnight in order to come up. And they take about a week to mature. So a good typical thing to look at, when you are hunting morels is afternoons in the 70s evenings no lower than 40 when you start seeing those temperatures start looking near river bottoms start looking near um down trees uh specifically around sycamores and oaks um we luckily enough enough stumbled into a very bountiful harvest last year and uh Uh, I think I dehydrated. I mean, I filled two mason jars, so I dehydrated mine. And then I reconstituted them and used them at Christmas. And they were every bit as good as when we picked them in April. Every bit as good. So, I mean, I I really encourage people um, this spring. This is a good year to do it. If you went out last year and you started getting back out in the wilderness, One new thing you can really try to do is do a little bit of foraging. Make sure you're looking at stuff uh, that you're not eating, like things that are going to kill you, like uh, Mm. into the wild. Um, Oh,
1: my God. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't get it out fast enough.
0: um, You know, spring is good for fiddleheads, which are small ferns. They're delicious. Like you make salads out of them. Dandelion greens. Good stuff, there's a lot of stuff that you can find out in the woods or even in your backyard in the coming months that you can forage and make a really really kick ass meal with, so you know be aware of that as as those things are coming on, and you'll have that opportunity coming up so
1: Heck yeah 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 we're uh we're coming right around the corner, and i you know I probably shouldn't say this, but um looking at the weather forecast, man. We're going to have a. I mean, this is a real spring. This is what we have a real spring for the first time. This in a while. is what we want. We don't want to shoot straight to seventy-five degrees. You want to have an actual spring, and this is the beginning of spring, mm-hmm. where you start off and your highs are in the fifties. Yep. And when you get to sixties, you're excited, and uh, you know you're going to have the rain and everything, but um, if, if I were to give anybody any advice, just be super patient with all this and learn to adapt with the wind, the rain and the rising and lowering mm-hmm. waters. Yep. And then also with the varying temps, because if you can be successful, when things are inconsistent, once they're consistent, you're going to have everything dialed up and ready to go.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So so
1: um i guess that's my closing thought by the way
0: good deal all <laughs> right well i mean that, that that's that's a good one to close on i woke up the other morning and i heard birds like like springtime birds like making noises i'm like oh my gosh like it's actually like <laughs> we're out of the dead of winter and the grayness and we're actually moving into sunlight now so um I, i'm pretty pumped so my concluder is is this I know we've mentioned it like the past few times um just thoughts and prayers with the lagore family uh, yes. you know they laid they laid officer Lagore to rest, I believe yesterday, um which would have been march third um he's the officer that passed or that died trying to save um, two kids who fell through the ice um, the young woman who was there. Um, died as well the uh, younger gentleman who was there uh, did survive if if you have the ability i know that there are charities set up for the family Um, a lot of money's been raised for them already but anything helps the guy uh, was very well respected through uh, the um, outdoor and game game worn community and uh, we just want to give our thoughts and prayers to his family because i think that that's a uh you know, and a very, very important thing to recognize as we're moving through and into this new year.
1: Without a question. Um, I think you can probably look for us to do some things on the Facebook page and stuff. Um, which by the way, what, um, what do we need? Do we need like a license or anything to do a raffle for him for like, a freaking bottle of bourbon and pack of cigars or something. I mean, can we do that legally? And uh, I'm not sure. I think that you can probably figure out ways around
0: it so you don't get zucked. But, um, you know, I think that there's yeah. probably ways that you can get around that kind of stuff. And if nothing else, yeah, I um, just meant ad- legal.
1: I can, I can le- outsmart legally- Zuckerberg
0: <laughs> <laughs> Leg- legally as a business. I think that you're allowed to do uh, those types of things. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't see anything wrong with doing anything along those lines at all. Let's
1: contact some, uh, breweries and stuff then. Absolutely. Uh, what do we call distilleries? We'll contact some breweries and distilleries and, uh, hell I'll even contact the place in Batavia. They're a brewery and a beanery. So ah, yeah, we'll, get, yeah. we'll get some coffee. We'll get some, uh, I'm going to get some items together, uh, yeah. talk to some of our sponsors and stuff and see what we can come up with and raise a little coin for that guy's family. Cause that's, that's terrible. Yeah. Absolutely I mean, awful. I feel for the guy and poor Gilkey, man. Yeah. That was his buddy. So yeah, it really sucks. I, I mean,
0: it, 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 it's one of those things where it, it happens and uh, you know, officer Gilkey was on here at one point and told us that um, there is a higher rate of risk for game wardens uh, than any other, uh, law enforcement profession um uh, they're more likely to be assaulted and uh we yep. have lost is it two or three we almost lost three if i'm not mistaken yeah. because the guy during the the poaching incident God. um last year too so i mean ohio's game warrants are, are getting hit hard and
1: taking a um, beating, man. yeah
0: if, if you if you can get out and support them guys they they're there for a reason um and they're there to help help out the community. It's, it's just the way it is. So
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I was raised by an Appalachian family. I understand all the uh, ins and outs and the reasons why people don't really take to game wardens mm-hmm. too well and all that. I, I, I get that, but if you just kind of humble yourself a little bit and understand that, they're protecting something that you love. If you love it, if you don't love it and you want to, we'll say, do things to it. I won't yeah. use the, the word that you hate. <laughs> this is me polishing. This is me <laughs> polishing everybody. Um, but I mean, if you truly love the resource and uh, you want it protected, that's your best friend. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so anywho, close closes so, out.
0: Yeah. Well, I got one more. Um, and it's more of a conservation topic than anything else after I, here we go. Okay. So, um, there are a few really kind of crappy bills coming down the line, um, in, in Congress. Um, if you, uh, don't like a certain, maybe not even Congress. I think it's more statewide. There's the stuff in Wyoming that's kind of going on, with the outfitters and things along those lines where if you're a diy hunter i would highly encourage you to contact the state legislature over there and tell them that you would like to be able to still spend money on small businesses within their state um, and do it independently of an outfitter the same in montana just to be sure that and then house bill 127 i believe that it is it is a gun law that would require um to have a i believe a mental health evaluation um before you could buy in like uh buy firearms or things like that um more than likely not going to get to the house floor but i'd encourage you to call your legislatures and. Let them know if you uh, don't want that to happen. By all means, uh, make sure that you call them. You know that wasn't introduced by um, the president or anything like that. It was introduced by um, the representative out of Houston, Texas, which I feel like is a very odd thing because it's a it's Texas, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it, it it it's something that creates an impediment to every sportsman from getting into the field. Um, and being able to go out and have fun and you know do what we all like to do which is be in the outdoors so that being said this has been fueled by the outdoors we've been your hosts Rick Cates and Chris Leppert this has been episode 41 and we have really enjoyed bringing the fire of turkey and panfish to you this evening so we will talk at you later guys bye see you. And that will do it for our podcast today. Please remember to subscribe, like, review on all major podcasting platforms. We are available on Apple, Google, TuneIn, CastBox, Spotify, and all other major podcasting platforms. As always, we are available for contact at theeliteoutdoors1 the the at gmail.com. That number theeliteoutdoors1 at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you next time.